KXSFLP, San Francisco 102.5 FM, streaming on the World Wide Web at KXSF.FM. Hey, thanks for coming along. This is the Frequency Uplift in the House, taken over from our frequency partners, San Francisco Public Press. Holding it down as KSFP for the last six hours, and now you have us till 4 a.m. and the Frequency Uplift till midnight. It's... A spooky night. It's all Hallow's Eve. Samhain. The day of the dead approaching. And what is scarier, my friends, than climate change? I know you expected something. But uh, we are blessed and honored to, to have with us... Uh, remotely by recording uh, two activists at the front lines at the Conference of Parties 26 in Glasgow, the UN Conference on Climate Change. A critical moment in history, actually. And so I'm going to go on and play some music, come back with a few interviews with some music for critical times of change, and this is one of them. So thanks for tuning in. Coming along in a little bit, but first, one of my favorite Halloween soundtracks, Forbidden Planet, known to freak out any number of trick-or-treaters, but I think we won't let this go on for too long.
Support for KXSF comes from The Willows, a south-of-market gastropub with a seasonal cocktail list and a rotating choice of craft brews on tap. Located at 1582 Folsom at 12th, come by for socially distanced drinks and burgers or order takeout or delivery at thewillowssf.com. Thanks for supporting San Francisco Community Radio, KXSF 102.5 FM. 
And thank you, Willows, on this Halloween night for supporting community radio here at KXSFLP, San Francisco 102.5 FM. Tonight we're having a, a special on the climate conference happening in Glasgow, opening tonight, which seemed appropriate, as scary and as existentially critical as this conference is there in Glasgow, the Conference of Parties 26. We're having some interviews, but I thought I'd give a little background. The 2021 United Nations Climate Change Conference, known as COP21, is the 26th uh, of, of these scheduled conferences. Um, the first time that parties are expected, are expected to commit, are supposed to commit, to enhanced ambitions since COP21, these parties are required to carry this out every five years, as outlined in the Paris Agreement. None of the industrial, or very few of the industrialized world has made those targets yet. Uh, the process is colloquially known as a ratchet mechanism. And we're supposed to, by 2023, have a global stock take. And we're supposed to see where we're at and trying to keep us from rising above the ideal uh, temperature for life on this planet. Again, a little forbidden planet in the background. We'll talk more about some of this in just a minute. Interesting things about this, though, um, its event was postponed, of course, for 12 months because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Being hosted in Scotland with the original intended sponsor, Italy, uh, co-producing or co-sponsoring. And previous summits have been sponsored by fossil fuel companies. Uh, there's a host of sponsors. It's a giant undertaking. Tens of thousands of people, delegates and uh, heads of state and civil society groups, nonprofits, attempting to address this situation, though lots of controversy over some of the choices. The National Grid uh, PLC, a private grid company in the United States as well as the UK, uh, a sponsor as well kind of greenwashing their contributions, perhaps. Begin with an interview with an activist from the Bay Area, from Oakland, Matt Leonard. And we'll move on to someone from the UK. Uh, Matt Leonard is from Oakland and is a representative of the Oil and Gas Action Network there, as well as um, a group helping to coordinate uh, protest and let's hear what Matt has to say and then we'll probably come back he has some musical suggestions as does my other guest uh, with Matt Leonard uh, representative of the oil and gas action network as well as a new group forming in the Glasgow at the conference of parties 26 the COP 26 the Glasgow action team welcome Matt thanks for coming along yeah thanks for having me excited to be here or at least be here virtually. So this will be airing on Halloween, and you just had your first action as part of the COP. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. 
Yeah, so uh, so I'm in Glasgow, Scotland, um, where it's the lead up to COP26. Um, COP is the Conference of the Parties, which is basically the uh, generally the annual uh, UN meeting of world negotiators and leaders in civil society to address climate change. Um, and it's it starts in a couple of days, um, but uh, we actually had our first action this morning, um, helping sort of set the stage, so to speak, or do some framing uh, for the world leaders that are coming into town. Um, really just trying to push them, hold them accountable for bold action to address the climate emergency. Um, I think, you know, what we've seen for decades now has been um, uh, at, at worst, you know, climate denialism, or at, or at best, a lot of belief that it's just something small, that we can just do small policy tweaks to solve it or address it. And what we're seeing overwhelmingly from climate disasters around the world, what we're hearing from scientists, what we're seeing with our own eyes, is that the urgency has never been greater. We need bold, bold leadership and bold actions to radically transform not just our climate policies, but our social and economic policies as well. So uh, what did you guys do? How did you put focus on um, the issues for, for world leaders today? What kind of action did you take? And uh, what, can we, what can we see and hear about coming up or think about coming up? Yeah, so so this morning we went to, um, it's called George Square. It's sort of one of the um, sort of center, you know, kind of public plazas in, in center of Glasgow uh, with a lot of historical and political significance um, and set up what we were calling a, a field of climate fire. Um, so we had built uh, a bunch of wooden props of flames and fire and fire extinguishers, um, had a banner pushing for bolder ambition um, from, from COP26 um, and some improvised uh, smoke. So we, we had some dry ice and some smoke, uh, basic smoke, smoke, basically like what we call like smoke fire, um, fireworks, like smoke bombs or smoke grenades. It's probably not the best term for them. Um, and, uh, you know, basically a media stunt, but we had a... So the, the actions um, in response to the inaction of global leaders is pretty critical. I mean, it's been so many years and targets have not been meant we're still on track to going to you know uh, two point something degrees of, of global increase and you know that these international conferences seem to take half steps all the time so what can people do on the ground i know you are representing oil and gas uh, action network as well as this group of of uh, climate action groups throughout Glasgow who are here to confront that issue. What can people do and what can, what are people doing? Yeah, so so I'm here, um, you know, so I work with an organization um, based in the States called Oil and Gas Action Network. Uh, a lot of our mission is to really um, raise awareness and mobilize people around the centrality of fossil fuels in fighting, um, not just for the climate crisis, but I think looking at just the, the harms that fossil fuel industry has caused to communities around the world through you know, mining and drilling, through refining and transport, from oil spills to genocides, um, and of course to funding climate denial for the past several decades, which is part of why we're seeing so little action is the this unbelievable amounts of money they've put into disinformation campaigns or uh, really trying to disrupt democratic political structures. Um, so a lot of that work is based in the States, um, but you know the, the COP meetings are an international affair. It's one of the, the few forums where um, you know, small countries and large countries alike are sitting around a table and where civil society from all corners of the globe really come together. Um, so we're out here, you know, trying to like really keep this the focus on fossil fuels. 
make sure that's not something that um, is, uh, that those are not the sort of actors driving the negotiations as they historically have been, um, but we're, that we're really putting the sunset on the fossil fuel age. And specifically for the, for the, for the COP, uh, we're working with a project called Glasgow Actions Team, uh, which is a small team of folks from around the world, uh, basically trying to do creative um, demonstrations, actions, photo op stunts uh, that can help capture media attention or go viral on social media. Um, just creating compelling images and, and, and visuals that um, can really help frame the importance of it. Very much taking the idea that a picture is worth a thousand words. Um, we're basically taking that approach. So in terms of what people can do, I mean, there's uh, you know, huge demonstrations here. Um, anywhere up to you know, 100,000 people are expected to, to march next, uh, this next week. Um, but even you know, particularly on November 6th, there's a call for a global day of action. So in communities across the world, there are demonstrations and actions happening, um, hopefully one in your city. And if not, you could totally help make one happen. What kind of resources, Matt, would you say people could find these actions or find resources in order to organize in their own communities? Yeah, so there's, uh, you know, literally, I, I say hundreds of organizations involved in COP at various levels, but it's probably thousands. Mm -hmm. um, I think sort of one of the best sort of overarching websites where you can get a lot of information uh, is called the COP26 Coalition, and their website's COP26Coalition.org. Um, that's a big grouping of, of, again, hundreds of organizations from around the world who are coming to Glasgow, and many that are they're doing organizing, you know, their communities around the world. Um, you get all sorts of information about events that are happening here, events that are happening locally, um, other great organizations to tap into, all sorts of primers or FAQs or more information about about uh, why the Glasgow meeting is so important. It seems like, uh, not that I'm a big policy expert, but I understand that, uh, you know, this is uh, one of the last cops uh, in the process of, of inadequate sort of ratcheting up of, of measures in order to reduce global uh, warming and climate change, and that there is a global stock taking coming up in the next few years. I wonder if you might be willing to comment about sort of what that is and if you see that as an opportunity for um, organizing uh, across borders and then with the global south and that kind of uh, large transformative change that really is necessary at this point. Yeah, so I think, you know, it's interesting. So with, uh, so this is COP26, it's generally been happening every year, but with the COVID pandemic, it did not happen last year. Um, so this is sort of a, a day late or a day late, a year late. Mm -hmm. um, but really why this is um, particularly significant, um, it's not just yet another annual meeting, uh, is that um, six years ago in Paris, um, the UN climate meeting there, um, you know, well, it definitely had all sorts of faults and shortcomings. Um, one thing that happened that was very profound was that there was a global agreement to limit uh, climate change temperature rises to 1.5 degrees Celsius. That's you know, with some debate and to simplify the science, generally what scientists have said is a safe level of temperature rise that can still more or less maintain humanity and society and our ecosystem and the planet as we know it. Moving much beyond that, we're really jeopardizing hitting uh, really dangerous tipping points, much more extreme weather patterns and a whole cascade of effects that could um, really be sort of an existential threat for, for humanity. So it's great that Paris agreed to that. Um, but the question is, how do we get there? And countries are supposed to have been taking the last five years to sort of set their own individual commitments, the sort of action plans that they're going to be taking to meet that agreement. And the reality is that 
pretty much across the board, almost every country, particularly the largest countries, are failing to meet those targets. The actions they're taking, the policies they're creating are nowhere near enough to keep us globally below 1.5 degrees. So this meeting particularly is the sort of meant to be the five year or now six year because of COVID, but that check-in benchmark to say, all right, our country is actually on track to do this. Are they falling through in these commitments that were made five years ago? Um, and the reality is they're not. And so this is a particularly important meeting um, where a lot of the global South is trying to hold wealthier, uh, richer countries really accountable for those failings. And particularly where civil society is saying, hey, this, this is completely unacceptable. We can't be giving lip service to this in Paris and getting all sorts of acclaim if you're not actually going to follow through in those commitments. Um, particularly, you know, I think this is one of those few opportunities where countries from the global South um, really are able to be face-to-face -face with world leaders. I mean, President Biden is coming, Boris Johnson is coming, and to be able to have that degree of face-to-face -face accountability for the incredible suffering and, and um, deeply inequitable policies that are impacting these countries, um, it's a huge opportunity and a huge importance for them. And there are a lot of um, both organizers and frontline communities uh, being represented. I wonder if uh, you can tell me a little bit about who's coming from those uh, communities that you know of, and uh, are you working with any of those uh, individuals at this point in the GATT? Well, so the COP meeting, uh, you know, this is a challenging one because we are still um, in the COVID pandemic. Um, so estimates of who's attending both in terms of on the inside as, as official delegates, as well as the demonstrators are, are um, estimates at best at this point. Um, but it expected to draw anywhere from 10 to 30,000 people uh, attending the meeting and hard to say, but let's say 50 to 100,000 people demonstrating outside. It's a huge range of people from all sorts of organizations, from labor unions to activist groups, from trade associations to you know, policy organizations, think tanks, you name it. But on the sort of negotiator side, the, the first couple of days, November 1st to 3rd, is framed as the leader summit, where heads of state from dozens of...
Welcome back. This is KXSFLP San Francisco. Apologies, I accidentally jumped ahead in the interview sound files. Uh, we have been listening to Matt Leonard of the Oil and Gas Action Network on the front lines at the Conference of Parties, the COP26 in Glasgow. Uh, just started today on Halloween Day. Um, we're going to rejoin that interview, but I wanted to tell you what we heard. Took a little break for a musical interlude with uh, Oakland's Maria Jose Montijo, Hurricane, uh, an independent release last year, talking about the resistance uh, to the colonial status in Puerto Rico. And before that, uh, before the interview, I realized I didn't give you what we heard. Electric Jalaba in the back from uh, uh, the... 2020 release on Strat Fulan, El Hal, The Feeling. And then before that, Brian Eno and David Burns' Quran from My Life in the Bush of Ghosts from a remastered version of that. And then, of course, the main titles from Forbidden Planet. We are hoping to not find ourselves in a similar alien environment but our planet is changing and it's changing fast and we must adapt and must confront our leaders to make the necessary changes so i'm going to carry on with this interview with matt he has a musical suggestion at the end and uh, we'll play some of that and you'll hear what he has to say yeah. well so the comp meeting uh, you know this is a challenging one because we are still um in the covid pandemic um so estimates of who's attending both in terms of on the inside as, as official delegates, as well as the demonstrators are, are um, estimates at best at this point. Um, but it expected to draw anywhere from 10 to 30,000 people uh, attending the meeting and hard to say, but let's say 50 to 100,000 people demonstrating outside. Um, it's a huge range of people from all sorts of organizations, from labor unions to activist groups, from trade associations to um, you know, policy organizations, think tanks, you name it. Um, but on the sort of negotiator side, the, the first couple of days, November 1st to 3rd is framed as the leader summit um, where heads of state from uh, dozens of countries are gonna be attending. Um, and the hope is that those heads of state can set sort of a high benchmark and a high mandate for their actual negotiators who are often you know, ministers or cabinet officials or, or you know, delegated negotiators to actually work out in the coming days the the mechanics of these policy agreements. And of course, on the outside, uh, you know, tens of thousands of people from, again, from across the world coming to demonstrate and, you know, challenge those systems and policies that are really unjust, um, call for different ones, um, speaking to a range of issues from, you know, from climate change to fossil fuels to uh, marine ecosystem issues, biodiversity, you name it. Um, what's, you know, I think really uh, difficult and sad for this COP is that because we are still in a pandemic, we've really seen how globally the sort of inequitable distribution and access to vaccines has shaped who can attend COP. As I said, this is one of those real opportunities where countries, you know, often elected officials, but even civil society from the global south are able to come to a global stage and have power. And unfortunately, so many of those people in those communities uh, have really had limited access to vaccination for COVID because countries like the U.S. have hoarded that. Uh, so we're seeing that for many of them, they're unable to comply with the quarantine requirements put forth by the UK government um, or the quarantine requirements when they get home. Um, and we're seeing just reports of, you know, many, many delegates from many countries saying that they're not able to send 
the delegates they want to send or have as large a delegation as they historically have brought to the UN meetings, um, particularly civil society as well, who really can't afford two weeks of hotels to be in quarantine if that's required. Um, so it's been a, a real disaster. And you're seeing how, again, not even specific climate, but just the sort of policies and approach of our systems that privilege the global north and predominantly white wealthy countries um, just have a, a incredible domino chain reaction effect on, on poor global south countries. Thank you, Matt. And thank you for uh, using your skills and your privilege and your uh, ability to push that dialogue and to push our our leaders, uh, our our representatives to to make some really substantive change. I wonder if there's anything else you want to say to folks about how they can uh, connect with actions and. Well, yeah, I know a lot of your listenership is Bay Area, and um, you know there's a great action happening on the 29th at BlackRock, a uh, huge coalition of groups doing um, some really powerful creative work. I'm sad to not be there, but but I think you know, particularly in the Bay Area, it's you know I think people think of California and the Bay Area as a very uh, progressive or green uh, region of the country, which in some ways it might be, but still incredible, you know, important work happening in California, where we are a major fossil fuel producing state. Um, we drill. Shockingly, we drill uh, one of the few states that doesn't have currently uh, any sort of health and safety buffer, where there are literally oil drilling rigs next door to schools, residences, churches, daycares, businesses. So getting involved you know, where you are, if you're in California, um, it's a really great campaign called the Last Chance Alliance pushing Governor Newsom um, to actually phase out fossil fuel extraction in California. And I think in particular with San Francisco being um, you know, a major finance hub. Are you going to have dialogue with Mr. Newsom because he is coming and, you know, as a representative of what, the sixth largest economy. Yeah, it's actually interesting. Um, you know, the governor, Governor Newsom is coming to Glasgow and has a pretty substantial delegation, uh, about 25 people from the state, mostly elected officials, which on one hand is good. I mean, I think sh- seeing that, you know, even as, well, certainly under Trump, but even under Biden, um, I think there's a lot of, um, uh, a lot more work needed on climate at the federal level. Um, so we're hoping to see California step it up, maybe set more of a, a higher benchmark for, for Biden and, and the rest of the U.S. and other parts of the world to follow. So it's promising to see that they're sending such a big delegation. Um, I think the challenge is there is that we want to make sure that despite some good things that California has done on climate, um, that it's not seen as sort of the gold standard or the model to emulate because California's dirty secret is that we are a major oil producing state still. So I think that's sort of the double-edged sword of California sending a big delegation. Um, But it is uh, hopefully something that can push, we can use it as an opportunity to both push both Governor Newsom and Biden to do more and really start to address fossil fuels. And yeah, there actually are a bunch of us here talking about how can we start to think about the opportunities to bird dog or, or, you know, send clear messages to both Newsom and Biden here to let them know that even if they leave California or leave the U.S., they're still going to be held accountable for their shortcomings. Well, thank you for that work, Matt, and thank you for um, calling in and talking to us about the actions and the issues at the Conference of Parties 26, the Global uh, Climate Change Gathering, happening now uh, for the next two weeks uh, through, what is it, November 6th in in Glasgow, UK. November 12th. Actually here a long time. Uh, Good luck out there. Yeah, I appreciate it. Have some good trouble, man. I already got my drone and phone confiscated by the police this morning. So, oh, yeah, <laughs> you're, on, you're on a good start. Starting off with a bang. Right, right. I think if I had a.
pick a song. I don't know. What would I pick? New Model Army. They've been a band for 40 years. I, what is it? I don't know, 13, 15 albums at this point, um, all of which are pretty amazing in my book. I think one of my, it's not necessarily relevant to what's happening in Glasgow now, but it's a really, I think, a powerful song about um, globalization and refugees and capitalism. Um, but I, it's called Another Imperial Day. Mm-hmm. It's on like a, it's on the album Carnival, probably mid 2005s, give or take. But I think it's a, I get, I literally, I probably listen to that song you know, 500 times. I still get goosebumps every time. It's just, to me, it's powerful and chilling. You could be there on a dark October night Waiting for the moment to be swimming across the freezing river Holding in a plastic bag of belongings just out of the water Climbing up the banks on the other side Hiding in the trees so cold That you hardly show us a target On the heat-seeking gear of the border control But you made it, you're another one over Sleeping on a bench in a railway station
una mattina mi son svegliato oh bella ciao bella ciao bella ciao 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 una mattina mi son svegliato e ho trovato l'invasore oh partigiano portami via
American Health Center has been serving the California Bay Area Native population and other underserved groups in our region since 1972. NHC offers medical, dental, behavioral health, community wellness, and women, infant, and children's services at locations in San Francisco and Cap Street or in Richmond and Oakland. To learn more, visit nativehealth.org. Thanks for supporting San Francisco Community Radio. Thank you, and uh, thank you to Native American Health Center for the work that they do for supporting our all our communities. Um, I want to tell you what we heard and uh, get back to our focus tonight at the Frequency Uplift on the scary issue of climate change and of the tipping points that we are have passed on some levels and are approaching in others. Uh, and the front line of some of that activism working to confront world leaders and industries and try to attain really a global society which can transform uh, from a fossil uh, economy, fossil fuel economy into one that's sustainable and that will support life on this planet. We heard, uh, in terms of music just now, uh, a classic resistance song, Bella Ciao, from the anti-fascist resistance in Italy by Modena City Ramblers, a uh, punk rock, folk punk rock group from the city of Modena, with uh, the brass section, Goran Brekovic and his wedding and funeral orchestra, I believe from Romania, and that album, Apunti Partigiane, from uh, last year, 2020, and uh, Universal Music in Italia. And then before that, our interviewer, our interviewee's choice, Matt uh, Leonard, uh, of, the, of the Oil and Gas Action Network organizing in Glasgow. We had a, a, an interview with him, and he is a big New Model Army fan, and apparently they're having a 45th first reunion concert, and he will go there in Scotland. We heard New Model Army, another Imperial Day on the Carnival Redux release, uh, also back in 2020. I think a, I think it was originally maybe 2004, 2005, but uh, re-released. Um, and so we go on. I want to also give props to some other shows coming up. And, uh, but we'll do that in a minute. Check out uh, for a amazing bunch of punk rock, a t- punk rock tall can. Check out on Wednesdays from 8 to 10 p.m. Uh, Nick and his extra ounce brilliant uh brilliant show worth it for that rebel music for sure so we're focusing again on glasgow and uh we also are honored to have coming through a uh a writer an activist an organizer in uh the uk uh his group has been pushing uh within the Labour Party, within the left in in uh, the UK, the Labour for a Green New Deal group. Uh, Chris Saltmarsh is a co-founder of Labour for a Green New Deal, 
uh, also a writer of uh, a recent book on climate change activism, especially in the context of the union movements. Uh, we'll, we'll go for a little bit, have to take a break. He, too, has some great uh, musical choices, which we will get to, but I think we'll begin uh, with this interview here with Chris Saltmarsh. And here we go with that. This is KXSFLP, San Francisco, 102.5 FM, and streaming at the World Wide Web at KXSF.FM. I am honored to be with Chris Saltmarsh of Labor for a Green New Deal in the UK and recent author of Burnt Fighting for Climate Justice. How are you doing, Chris? I'm doing great, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Today, uh, this is airing on Halloween, and mm. uh, today, the COP26, the Conference of Parties, has started in Glasgow. Tell me what um, Labor for a Green New Deal is up to and, and sort of what Labor and, and the left is thinking about climate change and about the COP26 in particular at this point as, you're, as being hosted in the UK. Yeah, yeah, as you say, we've got the great pleasure of hosting the, you know, the great, the good, the, the very, very bad from around the world <laughs> descending on Glasgow. Um, yeah, Labour for a Green New Deal, the campaign group I'm involved in, you know, really exists to push both the Labour Party here in the UK, but also the Labour movement as a whole, so you know, trade unions, um, to be much more radical on the climate crisis. Um, so that's, you know, that's been a big focus over the last few years. Um, I think, you know, we're in a position where, Unfortunately, you know, the Labour movement, the Labour Party isn't in power. So we've got a Conservative government. Um, the Conservatives have been kind of laying out their quite tepid plans uh, on climate ahead of COP, as well as doing, a, as far, by all accounts, a pretty disastrous job of organising the conference. So, you know, the Labour Party has been, its kind of official position has been to criticise the government on that, to push for a much more radical set of plans um, you know, as I said, the government has a net zero 2050 target, which it's not kind of on track to meet um, based on current targets. So, you know, the Labour Party and the left is kind of, you know, critical on that regard. You know, the, the Tories policies are very much, um, I mean, they're based on greenwashing. I think they have this kind of techno optimism that, you know, the technology we need kind of come out of, you know, somewhere. Um, and, you know, they really don't kind of consider the the economic transformations that we need. So um, the Labour Party, I think, is putting forward, you know, says it supports a Green New Deal. Um, it says it supports, you know, cutting the substantial majority of emissions by um, 2030, um, which is, you know, very ambitious. Um, I think there's a gap certainly between, you know, what the party, the Labour Party is putting forward and what kind of activists are proposing. So, you know, we propose a huge mobilisation of the economy, massive public investment, expanding public ownership of, you know, the energy sector, but also other sectors, you know, creating millions of green jobs and, and crucially having an internationalist element and, you know, transferring finance internationally um, to support, you know, all countries to, to do this. And, you know, I think the, the Labour Party certainly has taken on that message, certainly, you know, has an understanding, it shares an understanding, I think, with broadly the left in the UK that climate crisis is a class issue, that it's one that requires, um, you know, a justice approach. Um, I think, you know, the gap is on the, the detail and, and quite the level of ambition. So as activists, you know, we're, we kind of work through the very imperfect democratic structures of the party to push it further. But we also try and build that consensus in the broader labor movement, the broader left around, you know, basically having a radical Green New Deal as one of the headline demands for the left overall. You just had a Labour Party conference and... Uh... Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about did that move those issues forward for the labor for labor and for the labor party? 
Yeah, so it's been a couple of years since the last Labour conference due to the pandemic and at the last one in 2019, that was kind of the first time that a really radical Green New Deal motion was passed, included the target of net zero by 2030. Um, so yeah, so this, at this conference, you know, we, we took the opportunity to really almost reiterate that socialist Green New Deal that we were putting forward and we were fortunate that um, it passed overwhelmingly again, you know, the vast, vast, vast majority of um, ordinary member delegates voted for it, as well as most trade unions, which was very encouraging. Uh, we had a particular framing around jobs. You know, I think there's certainly been difficulties around unemployment and jobs in the UK during the pandemic. So we felt that it was a, a useful time to articulate, um, you know, the usefulness of a green deal, not just for the climate, but also for people's livelihoods. Um, what we did see during the conference, again, I think was a gap between maybe the trade unions that are affiliated to the party and members and then between the the party leadership itself and so unions and members i think were quite united around you know a green new deal that was committed to bringing the energy sector into public ownership really kind of making this argument that the profit motive can't play a role in the energy sector if we're gonna, if we're going to have climate justice whereas at the same time during the conference labor's leader keir starmer and the shadow chancellor, Rachel Reeves, made it quite clear that they weren't prepared to nationalise the big six energy companies. Um, and so they have more of a hesitancy around that element of, of the Green New Deal we're putting forward. But overall, I would say it's, it's a success. We, know we, we reiterated you know, the popularity of the programme, both within the party, the wider Labour movement and the public. Um, and ultimately, come the next general election, Labour will need a set of climate policies. And so the question is, how radical are they? Right. So tell me a little bit about uh, what you understand to be the activism leading up to this uh, in the UK and what people are pushing for. And really just a bit about, you know, is, how is this how is this really this this conference and this focus going to move things forward? We're probably 23, 24 years behind the times in a 26 year process here at the Conference of Parties 26. So tell yeah. me a little bit about your feelings about that and what you know is is planned and what you feel is important about this. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it's worth saying that that this conference is in the UK has certainly preoccupied many of the organizations of the climate movement, you know, for, for over two years now. You know, I think I went to my first COP26 organizing meeting about two years ago. Um, so obviously it was delayed a year, but you know, it has um, it's taken a lot of thinking and capacity and organizing. Um, you know, I guess there's this kind of assumption that whenever the conference is hosted in a country, particularly in the global north, it becomes a kind of movement of that country's responsibility to facilitate and bring over support, you know, movements from around the world to come and intervene. And so I think that's taken up a lot of movement resources to facilitate, you know, global civil society, I guess, being in Glasgow as far as possible with, with the pandemic restrictions. Um, in terms of, you know, hopes for the conference, I think compared to maybe previous major COPs, there's probably a more widespread realistic assessment that we don't expect very much out of it. Um, I think, you know, I, I saw earlier today that um, the the kind of the emissions reductions targets that have been announced in advance of the conference, the NDCs, if they're aggregated together, then that would take us to about 2.7 degrees of warming, which is obviously way above the 1.5 or 2 that is the target in Paris Agreement. That's kind of a little bit lower than what the Paris Agreement target took it to. It would have been maybe 2.9 to 3.2. So there's some kind of level, there's a small amount of, you know, very inadequate improvement in, in terms of the stated targets. Um, I guess how significant that will be will come down to 
can we introduce mechanisms to enforce those targets? Can we introduce stronger levels of finance to support all countries to meet those targets? You know, as, as far my expectation is that if we do see any of that, it would be enough. Um, so I think we're probably looking at a situation where even if we have stated targets to take us to 2.7 degrees of warming, we won't even achieve that. You're listening to KXSFLP, San Francisco, 102.5 FM. It's 11 o'clock or a little bit after 11 o'clock. We're having a frequency uplift special about the COP26, the Glasgow um, Climate Summit that just opened today in the UK and hearing an interview with Chris Saltmarsh, the uh, co-founder of Labor for a Green New Deal, as well as uh, climate justice author, um, and we'll rejoin this interview and come back with some music, some commissioned pieces from uh, for pieces commissioned for the Glasgow Summit by people like More Mother and Tune Yards, as well as other great music. But here we go. So we're not expecting very much from the conference, but I think what we are doing is seeing it as a flashpoint as a moment to organize around and mobilize around you know there's a great coalition called called the cop coalition which is a you know a coalition of, of of radical civil society organizations from trade unions to extinction rebellion to ngos and what they're doing is they're mobilizing people both in glasgow but in cities around the country and then what i really hope we get from it is a, a renewed skepticism of these official processes um you know certainly countering the kind of the triumphalism i think we'll inevitably see the kind of propaganda we see in the mainstream media so that renewed skepticism but also new bonds within the movement i'm really hoping that the labor movement trade unions form stronger connections with um climate campaigns because i think that's a really important unity especially in the uk in order to achieve climate justice and i think just one example of that is one of the trade unions, GMB, is is preparing for strike action um, for for key workers in the city during COP over paying conditions. And Greta Thunberg has already sent her solidarity, and the workers have sent their solidarity back. And so, I think if we can build on those kinds of relations, I think that's going to be a really important platform to kind of continue to build a radical um, climate movement. It strikes me that the bene- that one of the biggest benefits is, of course, bringing civil society here in a single place and to mm-hmm. be able to try to form uh, those international coalitions as well between labor, between activist groups to really try to assist the global south in, you know, the more difficult work that's going on there. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I always say that, you know, as climate activists in the UK, you know, we have a privilege in that we're physically physically and politically proximate to one of the nations that is most responsible for this crisis, you know, both the government, but also the institutions of finance and capital and fossil fuel companies. So, you know, we have a disproportionate responsibility, I think, to leverage that proximity and, and demand, you know, global climate justice as well as decolonization. So tell us a little bit, uh, just to sort of wrap up, you, you just completed a book, uh, mm. Burnt, Fighting for Climate Justice, um maybe give us your nutshell uh elevator pitch like how are we going to change things yeah well i was really glad to write the book it's worth saying that you know i'm not an academic i'm not a journalist you know these are the people that usually get to write books you know it's written from an activist perspective um and i think you know why it's an accessible book um the idea is that it's a young for a younger audience but i guess anyone can read it you know um but what it really does i think grounds my kind of analysis of 
um, how the climate movement has kind of done its successes, its failures in an analysis of the climate crisis as a crisis of capitalism. Um, and, and yeah, it kind of makes an argument for a socialist climate politics um, and one that can be won by a kind of almost three-pronged political strategy, one that seeks to, you know, capture state power and use that um, to, you know, institute a Green New Deal or a just transition, but also having that buttressed by a militant and a radical trade union movement, um, as well as um, radical and bold social movements and direct action movements and saying, you know, we need all of these working together and moving in the same direction politically. And what's interesting to me is trying to understand that there is this the, the ratchet points that are coming up and that mm-hmm. we're looking at the stock taking coming up in, I guess, the next COP. And so how to create public awareness and, and interest in that, you know, mm-hmm. given all the challenges that are going on and how do we, you know, address a crisis that's mm-hmm. kind of easy to kick down the, down the road yeah. as we've seen, you know? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I guess my view on all is kind of like, People, we should move people to a place of understanding, you know, the process of the COP and what it all means without becoming too invested in it. And I think, you know, previous climate movements have have almost, you know, failed in that they've invested all their hope in the COP process instead of taking that kind of critical view. And so, yeah, I think it's a it's a tough one, especially as the kind of clock continues to tick. Well, thank you, thank you so much uh, for talking to me today and for uh, your time. Thanks for having me. This is. KXSFLP, San Francisco. Arise, you workers from your slumbers. Arise, you prisoners of want. For reason and revolt now thunders, and at last ends the age of Kant. Away with all your superstition Servile masses arise, arise We'll change henceforth the old tradition We'll spun the dust to win the prize ah, So comrades, come rally And the last fight let us face The Internationale Unites the human race ah, So comrades, come rally and the last fight let us face The Internationale Unites the human race No more deluded by reaction On tyrants only we'll make war The soldiers too will take strike action They'll break ranks, they'll fight no more And if those cannibals keep trying To sacrifice us to their pride They soon shall hear the bullets flying We'll shoot the generals on our own side Ah, so comrades, come rally And the last fight let us face The Internationale Unites the human race as a comrades come rally And the last fight let us face The Internationale Unites the human race No saviour from an high delivers No faith have we in Prince of Peer 
Our own right hand, the chains must shiver Chains of hatred, greed and fear Tell the teams will out with their booty And give to all a happy lot Each at the forge must do their duty And will strike while the iron is hot As our comrades come rally And the last fight let us face The Internationale Unites the human race As our comrades come rally And the last fight let us face The Internationale Unites the human race The Internationale Unites the human race Go down to the water Where the oil floats by Drop your head down and cry Right with your finger in the sand My lead
a set season oily wet snow on the first of august three to one if you like to bet our animals are polluted and then killed for a food but we kill ourselves while we eat and a multitude die from lack of grain as it's eaten by the fattened beef seem like we got ourselves into some heavy mischief set alight the flowers that could definitely hold some cure for the cancers in my body and brain we must endure as space is needed for grazing more of the meat that we consume for thick blood and a less than healthy heartbeat only you can criticize bring it all to shame time runs out it's almost gone still goes on the game sensible of the world being in charge got it right that's why some staff while others seem to party through the night no way out because it's too hard to change life left hand it bleeds because the right hand holds a knife mr book hasn't made as i sit in his green office talks to my spouse and family treat me like a novice so every time i explain how late the time has got i'm told i'm a boring pessimist should be happy but i'm not radiation level it's safe but past my head children are deformed and my chest is full of lead the way to make it better at least so i'm told is to let business sort some cold cash so that i can fold it and stand on my game so that i will be taller and the air i breathe is pure high over the radiation border let them rule nature and now you get off it natural is always meant the protection of the prophet last generation waits with their children in the wind trusting the system that up everything love is not unlimited always carry a spare as the wheel of love not open to those in despair 57th minute of the 23rd hour 57th minute of the 23rd hour 57th minute of the 23rd hour Three minutes ain't long But it's all we got the power And thank you for tuning in to the Frequency Uplift here at KXSF.LP San Francisco 102.5 FM streaming at the World Wide Web at kxsf.fm. A little bit of uh, The Forbidden Planet again. And let me tell you what we heard. That was from back in 91, Galliano. 57th minutes of the 23rd hour from In Pursuit of the 13th Note. Before that, uh, some music commissioned. It's an old song, but the performance commissioned for the civil society group's um, resisting and advocating at the twenty, the COP twenty six, twenty sixth meeting of the Conference of Parties, trying to determine the fate of the Earth, because that's what it's come down to, and they are working hard to uh, civil society members to make sure that we can have a sustainable planet. 
So we heard that commissioned piece from Yoko Ono and Anoni, the singer-songwriter, uh, once leader of the Anthony and the Johnsons, I Love You Earth, from originally from 2015 on uh, Chimera Music. Before that, the choice of our most recent interviewee, uh, Chris Saltmarsh, we heard um, the co-founder of Labor for a Green New Deal in the UK. He had chosen uh, the Billy Bragg version of the International, but this one was just so beautiful, this song, and so appropriate for the moment. Billy Bragg's Go Down to the Water, and then before that, the International, from the amazing, um, and now sadly passed on a while back, but uh, the uh, Glaswegian acoustic folk singer, best known as the singer in the folk punk band Roaring Jack, uh, had moved to Australia and did those versions. This version of the International Dance from the Dance of the Underclass in 1991 on Red Rattler Records. Um, so we heard the International before, after we heard uh, the interview with Chris Saltmarsh of Labor for a Green New Deal talking about the COP26. And so we'll move on with this, I think. But I want to take a minute to say thanks to uh, a group who supported us here at KXSF LP San Francisco and the Frequency Uplift, one of our underwriters. Uh, check that out if you can. Kick down a little bit at our website, kxsf.fm. Lots of archived shows and other interesting stuff to preview. But for now, this thank you. Support for KXSF comes from Arizmendi Bakery, a worker-owned co-op specializing in pastries, artisan breads, and gourmet pizza. In addition to their San Francisco shops in the Mission on Valencia and on 9th Avenue in the Inner Sunset, you'll find Arizmendi's sister co-ops in Oakland, Berkeley, Emeryville, and San Rafael. Find out more at ArizmendiBakery.com. Thanks for supporting KXSF 102.5 FM San Francisco. Mountains say sweet things to me. Can't breathe, can't breathe, can't breathe. 
foot on my neck. We can't breathe. Can't breathe. They all watch. They all watch me. Yeah, I can't breathe. Locked behind these bars, doing time, doing time, doing time. We can't see. Underground. Underground. We can't see. Black lung. Coal mine reality. Cold cave eyes. Can't breathe. Can't breathe. Can't breathe. We can't breathe. Sites we can't breathe, so much lead we can't breathe. Can't breathe. Can't breathe. Can't breathe. This is reality. The struggle for water, the control for water, this is reality. The fight for space, the race for space, this is reality. Missionaries in Madagascar laid to curse. Now we 
the hood on top of super fun sites. We're taking all the lead, we get all the cancers. We protest in the street, get no answers. Cops shoot us down, humanity never answers. Worshiping compassion, let's see what that gets us. Time ropes us in, Western cowboys, imperial lust, disgust plans, lost memory. What timeline do you remember?
If you're in the music industry and find yourself struggling emotionally, there's now an easy free place to turn for help. Backline is a mental health and wellness resource hub specifically for artists, support crew, and their families. Through Backline's online portal, find a therapist, join a weekly virtual support group, or sign up for yoga or meditation. KXSF is proud to partner with Backline to find help for music industry professionals. Learn more by going online to backline.care. Thank you, thank you, and thank you for tuning in to KXSFLP San Francisco 102.5 FM here, the frequency uplift. In the house till midnight, another 20 minutes or so. Let me tell you what we heard. It's new music from uh, Theon Cross, amazing music, the tuba player uh, holding down the back end of uh, Sons of Kemet and a variety of, of other projects throughout the UK jazz scene. New release from him just out this week, Intra Eye, and we heard the track Universal Alignment in collaboration with Oren Marshall. Before that, as we had talked about, More Mother from Philadelphia. A, a um, collaboration uh, with her in Irreversible Entanglements group. A, uh, a commission for the Glasgow Climate Summit, the COP26, just out now. That was spring again. And before that, after saying some gratitude, we uh, had uh, just heard uh, Galliano, 57th minute of the 23rd hour. Hopefully not. Let us all work together to make that happen. Do not rise above 1.5 ideally degrees of warming and already push past the tipping points we're experiencing now there's great hope and great opportunity in this it's going to take all of us though pulling together to change everything we need everyone so I hope you are down and with us I think time to go on to some more new music, as promised. This is a great band out of Australia, the Zeitgeist Freedom Energy Exchange, kind of in the jazz mode and funk jazz mode still. Hearing, of course, the soundtrack from The Forbidden Planet, a little fun by the swimming hole. Let's see, where is this? Here we go. A Prayer for Peace. Thanks for tuning in again to the Frequency Uplift here. KXSF LP San Francisco. Stand up. Fight back. Let's work together to change our society. All of it.
And that, and that was Tune Yards, a commissioned piece for the COP26 time, no time. Before that, Zeitgeist Freedom Energy Exchange, a prayer for peace. I have a few spots and then we'll end up with something else entirely. Thanks for tuning in. This is the Frequency Uplift, and a special for our common struggle to survive, to make change, and hopefully to have change happen at the Glasgow Climate Summit, the COP26. Thanks to my interviewees, uh, Matt Leonard of the Oil and Gas Action Network, as well as Chris Saltmarsh from Labor for a Green New Deal in the UK. And please think about this. Hi, 
This is Nick W., host of The Extra Ounce, which airs every other Wednesday from 6 to 8 p.m. Thank you so much for listening to and supporting KXSF-FM. Support for KXSF comes from The Music Store, an independent record store located in San Francisco's West Portal Business District. For more than two decades, The Music Store has featured two floors filled with music and movies, bins and bins of vintage vinyl, new and used CDs and tapes, and rare hard-to-find DVDs and videos. You can pick up a replacement record needle and even learn to play guitar all in the same visit. The Music Store, located at 66 West Portal Avenue. Thanks for supporting KXSF 102.5 FM San Francisco. Indeed. Thank you. Thank you, Exploring Music, for making that happen. And for all of you out there in Radiolandia for tuning in, stay tuned next week. We will have an interview with the great jazz pianist Craig Tabor and premiering some of his new solo work. Looking forward to that. Thank you for again to Matt Leonard and to Chris Saltmarsh. We're going to go out with from Colombia and Ottawa, Mas Aya, the track Momento Presente from his release Mascadas just out uh, last week. This features the voice of Ernesto Cardinal, the Nicaraguan liberation theologian and revolutionary. And that seems appropriate to take us out on this Halloween night discussing climate change and social action. Stay safe. Be well. Hopefully catch you next week.
KXSFLP, San Francisco, the frequency uplift and out.